Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. story shape lovely people today we are delighted to welcome the best-selling and award-winning author louise o'neill who's been described by the guardian as the best young adult fiction writer alive today louise is the author of six absolutely gripping books she's got two ya novels only ever yours and asking for it a middle grade retelling of the little mermaid called the surface breaks and three novels for grown-ups almost love after the silence and her most recent idol. The one and only Marion Keyes has called Louise's writing utterly magnificent. And Jeanette Winterson says that Louise writes with a scalpel, which I think is just the best description of the incisive and brilliant way that Louise uses stories to confront sexism, hypocrisy, and ask deeply uncomfortable questions about the ways we live with each other in the world. And she does all this through the most fast-paced, unputdownable plots. This is a warning. You literally cannot stop reading a Louise O'Neill novel once you've started. Louise also has, I would say, an almost psychic ability to have her finger right on society's pulse. Idol, her most recent novel, is about a social media wellness influencer. And if you spend any time on social media at all, then that novel is for you. And not only is Louise from Cork, but she's from Clonakilty, which also happens to be my hometown and the best town in Ireland. And we have a bit of a Cork-Wexford rivalry going in the Too podcast much here. Cork. So, Louise, you're helping me Too win this Cork. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always happy to, you know, take up uh, Clonakilty's mantle with you, Susan. So, yeah, up Clan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, let's get on with finding out just what stories have shaped Louise. So welcome, Louise. And hi, Sinead. Hi, Susan. Hi, Louise. It's great to be here again. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're you're delighted. Welcome. We are honoured and delighted to have you here. Uh, you're truly you're truly a legend in your own lifetime, as they say. Uh, you're, you're great, Louise. Thanks a million for, for being here. Uh, we can't wait to, to dive into your story-shaped uh, history and see uh, how did you get to where you are uh, and uh, and what what books and what stories helped you to become the the author and the creator that you that you that you are. Um, but I like to start off. So can I start off today, Susan? Is that okay? Can. Go for it, Sinead. I I like to ask the the top question on the on the pile, which is my favorite one, and it is Louise O'Neill. Are you story shaped? I also think this is a great question, and I haven't really thought about it that much before, but actually. Funnily enough, this week I was talking to, um, I was talking to a man who is the. We're talking to principal. a man. I know, I know, I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> and not, not my father or my partner, but like, you know, a strange man, one I had never met before. Um, I he was very nice, I have to say, but he's um the principal of um I think it's a Desh school. 
um, and he had sort of had a, a really interesting route into um, education because he had actually left school early. Um, I don't think he had done his leaving cert. Um, and then he didn't go to college. And it was only, I think, maybe when he was in his 20s that he was talking to someone who was um, studying to become a teacher. And, and he thought, oh, I, I, I'd like to do that. Um, and we were sort of talking about, I suppose, the way in which the community in which he had been raised had shaped him. And I suppose the stories of that community, how they had shaped him. And, and those stories were things like, you know, people like us don't go to university. People like us don't become teachers. Um, books and school and education is not really for families like ours. And I couldn't kind of stop thinking about that afterwards, I suppose, about like how all of us have those stories. Um, and, you know, and I, I know that myself from like, you know, when I was... Um, Growing up in Clannacilty, I mean, definitely I was I was told, you know, education was for me. I mean, I'd say I was probably 15 or 16 before I realized that university wasn't just mandatory. You know, that it wasn't like you had to go to primary school, you had to go to secondary school, you kind of had to go to college. That was sort of, you know, what I had um, what I had sort of seen for myself. But I suppose even in, you know, growing up in a small town, my parents owned um a butcher shop you know that had been in my my dad's family since 1909 um his great-grandfather had set it up and then his grandfather and then his father and then him and um and I suppose the expectations that are around that are the stories that are created around that and you know who you will be what you can achieve what you can accomplish and I was definitely given those stories and I think very early on decided that I was going to I suppose maybe you know break those stories in two or or create my own story create my own narrative um and not have those kind of I suppose limitations placed um upon me so I think that stories um whether those are as I said family stories or 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 community stories or even country stories can really shape how we see ourselves and how we see the world um and not always in I suppose the most positive of ways and how it can be very difficult to challenge those. I mean, mm -hmm. I think if you if you look at, let's say, in Ireland, like, you know, I, I think about, you know, let's say the suffragettes or like, you know, women, you know, who went on the um, who fought for or tried to, I suppose, fight for abortion rights and, and, and contraception, um, you know, the right to contraceptives. Um, and I suppose how difficult that was. And I mean, now we're looking, you know, obviously in Iran, um, and the way the women there are trying to reshape those stories around gender um, and around, you know, the way in which I suppose their uh, state is, is attempting to to control them, to control their bodies, to control what they wear. Um, and it can take, I mean, we're seeing that there, like a huge amount of, I mean, unbelievable bravery, sort of unimaginable bravery, actually, to mm. question the stories that have been handed down to you um and have been and that you've been told that those are immutable that they are that they are fact um so yeah so I suppose that was that was kind of what I was thinking about um this week when I was thinking about the idea of how we are how we are shaped by stories because you're talking about yeah these these stories that these like 
town stories, country stories, family stories, community stories, country religion stories, stories, religious stories yeah. that we live within that shape us, that are presented to us, not as stories, but as facts. At what point, mm. at what point did you realize they were stories and how did you realize they were yes. stories? And actually, I think the funny thing is, is that it was through other stories that I began to realize that, you know, it was through, it was through books. And um, because I think that when you're younger, you have no frame of reference, you know, like you, you have no way of comparing your family or your community or, or your town or your, you know, whatever to anyone else's. So you sort of think that this is, um that this is what everyone experiences and I mean like there were plenty of good stories as well you know like my parents very much told me you know you can be or do or have whatever you want as long as you work hard and believe in yourself and, and that definitely became a self-fulfilling prophecy I think for me um in my life but definitely I suppose the the way in which I began to challenge some of those other stories that as you said Susan that I've been handed as fact um and that I think were harmful were definitely harmful, uh, particularly around, I think, gender um, and sex um, and, um, you know, it's just ideas of, of, of being a woman. Um, and it was, it was through books. It was, I think, reading uh, stories that about people that, you know, weren't like me or who were living in countries that were very different to mine and had voices that were very different to mine, experiences that were very different to mine, stories that were very different to mine. And I think when you start to see that multiplicity of stories, it makes you question everything. Um, and I think those things that seem very immutable at the beginning, you know, I think you start to question them a little bit more. Yeah. And you've talked about, because I know you've talked about the impact that The Handmaid's Tale had on mm. the way that you thought about those gendered stories. If you, Would you like to talk a little bit about that and maybe any other books that challenged those seemingly immutable stories yeah of course um but I think with stories like it is interesting because I think there's there's different ways stories can present you know like story is entertainment which was definitely I think uh, when I was a child you know um reading reading in a Blyton or Narnia books or whatever you know like I think it was just like an, a way of escapism and then story is reflection where you see something in a story that makes you feel less alone something that you thought was really unique to you and 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 that I don't know that, that, that to think that someone else had the same idea or someone else has the same feelings as you about something I think can be just this incredible I don't know it just as I said it just makes you feel less alone um story is aspiration and then I think stories can be really challenging um and I know that like you know, a teacher handed me a copy of The Handmaid's Tale when I was 15. And I went home and I read it in one sitting. And I do think, you know, I know when I when I put down that book and sort of looked up, that it felt as if the world had shifted or tilted on its axis. Like there were just so many things in that book that, you know, I had never asked my mother why she had taken my father's surname. And that had never really, because every woman I knew that was married had taken her husband's surname. So it wasn't really something that I had given much thought to. And and and, and I, I remember saying to her, well, well, why did you? And, 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 you know, there were all these different things, I suppose, about gender and about, about women and about like 
the, the power dynamics between um, men and women that I had just completely accepted that whatever I sort of saw in the community around me, um, that was the truth or that was, I suppose, the, the, the same experience that everyone around the world was having. And I think to read something that really began to challenge my own ideas um, around that was really confronting but like so empowering and I think because I mean you know we had the internet that was very rudimentary at that point and like I suppose I wasn't you know I didn't grow up in a household where we were discussing you know feminist critical theory around like the kitchen table that it really like I suppose it really wakened this hunger in me for that kind of literature and like I know as soon as I went to college like I was seeking out modules that were around gender and sexualities and um, and you know like I was like okay I'll choose post-colonial women's writing and I'll choose women writing war and I'll, you know like anything that had woman or gender in the title I was like I want this is what I want to read um, because I think I wanted I, I, as I said that hunger in me to to learn more and I suppose to see what new stories could emerge um, for me that might feel like a more comfortable fit um, than the ones that I had been given. That's great that you were in you, you were exposed to that book so early in your life because mm. it had it had a very similar sort of galvanizing effect on me when I read The Handmaid's Tale first, but I didn't I didn't encounter it until I went to university. Um I studied it in undergrad and it, it just changed like like you say, I read it mm. and the world seemed different afterwards. Mm. Um it's funny, I'm I'm just I'm really enjoying listening to you talk about the concept of the stories that shape us, not necessarily always being stories we read but stories that are kind of constructed in the societies that we live in you know mm. because uh, I, I never I wouldn't have grown up in a in a, in a sort of a, a story that told me you can go to college or you can do this or you can study such and such a thing if you want I was very much uh, you know let's let's have um let's have smaller ambitions for ourselves or let's whatever let's do different mm. things with our lives you know and that that that's all that's all fine um you know it just it wasn't what I wanted so it was it's difficult to break out of to break out of these I suppose constructions mm. or stories or or, or mm. um, whatever if you don't see an example of going before you so I, yeah. I do I look back at myself now and as, as a teenager and kind of go god you know I did I did something good there <laughs> you know by yeah it was a different path a different story that I wanted from my life and I, I went for it and as a result I encountered stories like The Handmaid's Tale and other stories that like you say when you come to college you, you do all these courses in post-colonial studies or, or gender studies or whatever and they really do open your eyes to yeah the world beyond the one that you know uh so mm. that's that's fascinating yeah can I take you way back to the beginning of being stories or like the first books that you remember making you a reader the first stories that you encountered that made you hungry for more stories mm, mm. it's you know what's funny is that I often get asked you know by parents how can I encourage my child to read and I always say, and like Susan, I've seen photos of, of your son reading and, and, and I know, I, I just know why that is because you read. And I think that when, you know, if a child sees their parent reading, they just have a natural sort of inclination to want to pick up a book because you sort of begin to understand that like reading can be done for pleasure and for entertainment and um, and as a way of relaxing or whatever, I suppose, um, um, people other people might use it as other methods like I don't know watching tv or you know whatever um, but I think that if you are a child who sees their parent reading a lot um, you do I suppose just 
I, I don't know, there's sort of a natural instinct to um to reach for a book yourself. And I definitely grew up in a house where both of my parents really loved reading. There was there was loads of books and it was a real there was a real importance placed on reading, you know, that like my dad my mother's state was at home when my, my dad worked um and he worked very long hours but like every night he would come home and he would you know give us a bath and he would put us to bed and read us so read to us so that was kind of our like time with dad you know I, I, during the week you know that was sort of the art like our our special time with dad um and I just loved it and you know he used to like <laughs> he he'd he'd read like you know we you know as a child you kind of are demanding the same stories over and over again and then sometimes he would attempt to like retell it or put like his own spin on it no and no 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 exactly <laughs> exactly exactly oh my god i would lose my absolute life like that's not that story um and so yes yeah, so as i said and my and my mom would bring us to the library um every oh, saturday library i, I know so, i was I, waiting i was waiting for the moment when clonacilty library would be mentioned i saw a photo of, of um pi um you know, over it by the the river in Tallinn, you know, the the window by the river, and I was like, my God, I spent many happy <laughs> Saturdays, like you know, just kind of curled up there um, with a book, and like I can't, like obviously I know that we had loads of picture books, and and, and I have photos of you know my sister um, and I, you know, both like with these um, my sister and me with these with these uh, picture books. But I think when I when I think of reading as a child, like it it, it was Ina Blyton, um, it was Roald Dahl, and um, the Narnia novels were kind of the three. And like my mom would always try and like throw, you know, like there would always, she would always buy like a late, kind of the latest novel by like an Irish author, um, which is funny because like I can remember the covers so well of those books and the stories, but like I have no memory of what they're called or what the um author was called and I think there's something about that in like I remember once reading about um Ina Blyton that you know apparently that she would get loads of letters from children asking her um you know could they go to St Clair's or could they go to Mallory Towers and it had honestly never occurred to me that one that I could write a letter to her yeah but two that she even existed like it <laughs> you know I I didn't I honestly didn't think about authors in that way like they it was as if the books had sort of dropped into my lap fully formed I and I really mean. didn't give yeah like you know when people talk about the death of the author I was like I mean they weren't even alive for me like it yeah. was there was no consideration given to that and like I remember being a huge fan of the the Narnia books and when when I was finished the series because my dad had, had um, bought them for me and I remember saying to him oh I want to read another one of these and he was like well you're out of luck there because like C.S. Lewis is dead and like you won't be you won't be getting another one anyway because that that you know the the authors are done um, or the the series is done and again it was the sense of what they, there's someone behind these books there's someone who has written them and I couldn't even conceive of what that must be like and and or who or, or the process of that or what, you know, the idea of someone writing stories and coming up with them and, and, and the publisher and like all of these things. It was just so completely outside of my sort of, um, I don't know, my my frame of reference. Um, but I, I and I which is funny because, you know, we talk about, again, I suppose those 
the stories of community but like I suppose the thing about West Cork is that there are a lot of artists um who who live there and I remember there was this local woman called um Tina Pisco oh, yeah yes yeah and she wrote a novel um and I think it was published when I was maybe 12 or 13 um and that was the first time I really thought oh maybe this is something I could do Mm. you know because it was someone that I knew someone who came into my dad's shop someone who seemed real someone real yeah exactly yeah exactly you know like someone normal and like you know who I don't know you know bought meat and cooked it for her dinner you know that kind of thing so I just thought (laughs) oh why would they're not these you know completely fantastical like you know otherworldly creatures that that writers could be uh blood and bone and, and and flesh um, as well um, so that was really I think a moment where I thought oh maybe I remember when Roald Dahl died and how devastated I was in 1990 1991 something like that um, and that was the first time it kind of struck me that authors were real people you know and that they could they could die or they could exist in the first place I, I get totally what you're saying that the books seemed like these amazing miraculous things that sort of just popped out of nowhere or they were all written by you know they were made in America all of them or they were in you know I never as a kid like thought that ever that I would ever write books or that books were a thing that I could ever have a job in you know they all seem to be from space or, or America or England or be written by famous people or dead, dead yeah. people yeah yeah <laughs> so I totally I get su- that I suppose I was lucky and, and I, I mean I, I wanted really to be an actress um uh, particularly a stage actress and I think I was lucky in that my parents were very much like yes absolutely and I think that has always been their reaction to any of my creative ambitions or any of my ambitions in general was like, oh, you, yeah, you could do anything. Like you, they, they sort of look at me like, I'm, I think I, I, you know, I would say something like, oh, the president, my dad would be like, yeah, you could absolutely be the president. You know, there was just <laughs> always this huge sense of kind of um, encouragement. And I actually think that a lot of, a lot of it, which actually I think is probably true of most of us, not necessarily that like we have the parental, like, as I said, that kind of encouragement or that belief, but I think so many of the blocks that we have, whether personal or whether creative, are, are so often like self-imposed. Um, and like not for everybody, obviously, you know, I'm talking about I suppose I'm probably really talking about, you know, maybe more my own experience. Um, I shouldn't be so general, but I think that idea of like for me it was, but who am I to be a writer? Or like, mm. you know, um, and that even that you know even I suppose when I when I looked at someone like like Tina who as I said was coming into the shop there was always kind of this sense of yeah but like you know she's American or like the 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 artists are are, they're different to us or you know so I I think there was kind of these blocks or these um obstacles that I was kind of putting in my own way and I actually think that when I when I really looked at them so it was all just fear you know it was fear of failure it was a fear of not being good enough it was a fear of being found out it was you know all of these I think which most creative people have and actually I think I just had to sort of I don't know I think I it, there came a point where the desire the yearning the, the, the craving almost to 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 write to to create a story became more than that fear um or you know and it kind of tipped the 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 weighing scales um in that direction Yes, that's exactly, I can totally relate to, to all that you're saying there, but it's, it's great that you had a family, you know, and parents in particular who who told you you could be whatever you wanted to be. That's that's so valuable, you know, and I, I'm reminded that the, the old Irish 
Pishog, the saying, you know, Mulanoiga, Augustukikshi, you know, uh, you know, yeah, encourage the youth and and uh, and they will grow to meet your your expectations of them. Oh, I love that. Um, you know, and I love that, and I think it's true in your case because I mean your success is is really phenomenal, and uh, you know, I guess uh, I'm really glad that you had a background or a, you know parents and a family that sort of told you, yeah, Louise, you can do what you like, you can do anything you want, <laughs> and maybe you will be president. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Susan. I think. Some of my old tweets alone would be <laughs> enough to kind of uh, scupper those, any of those plans. <laughs> you get my vote. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> um, yeah, so I suppose we're talking about stories that have that you started off with, stories that made you into a person who who liked to read or a person who who enjoyed stories. Um, but any stories you might point to, any 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 stories, any books, any even TV shows or anything like that. That maybe influenced your life, you know, your your career choices, your mm. your dreams, your hobbies, anything like that. Um, well, I haven't written sort of the <laughs> 2022 version of like the Babysitters Club, um, so <laughs> that's obviously a, a grave disappointment to me. That'd but, be um, the dream. <laughs> that would be the oh my god, that would be the dream. Um, but um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, as uh, with with only ever yours, that was heavily i mean which every feminist dystopian novel is you know it was heavily um, influenced by margaret atwood and it's really hard to be objective about your own work you know it's really hard to say oh you know it's influenced by this author or it in this kind of school of, of writing or you know anything like that um so it, it's tricky i think for me to look at it in that way but mm. i i do i suppose there's a few things i mean I'll probably mention two authors, um, again, who I don't think their style is similar, but that there was something in their writing that taught me a lesson. Um, and the first person um, is John McGarren. Um, and I get, yes, as uh, yes, my, I know, I know you don't have to tell me our books are very different. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting John McGarren. It did, it did. <laughs> Though I will say that, like, I was actually, I made um, uh, my partner read uh, Amongst Women for the first time this year and I was really interested to hear sort of what he would think of it and how it would hold up maybe and he said to me he was like I think it's one of the best explorations of like tox toxic masculinity like that I've ever read and obviously when McGarry was writing it that was not a conversation that was happening but yeah. sort of really about this man who has all of these emotions and has no way to express them and then they just come out as anger um and you know particularly like this kind of real lashing out at like, the, the people around him um but i i studied that book in uh for my leaving search and what i find really interesting about that is that often when you talk to people about the stories that they read um for um you know at exam level there's always this exhaustion with them you know they said well i you know if any enjoyment was sort of stripped away by the time we had finished but actually i think with amongst women what i found so interesting was I never felt like that because every time I read it, it felt like there was another layer that I was uncovering. And I remember my teacher um, saying in class that the power of his work was in his in the simplicity, that he wasn't afraid to sort of, I suppose, to hold back or to sort of pare back. And that actually with McGarren, that so much of what is being said is in what's not being said. And that was something that I that really... I have really sort of held close and sort of tried to implement in my own writing that often that what's not being said is even more important or more telling 
about the characters or about what's happening or the world in which you know the book is set than actually what is said explicitly in the text so that is one thing I think that I have really tried to kind of you know I suppose as I said sort of tried to hold true in my own career um and then I think Marion Keyes who you know is sort of this like guiding light I think for 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 many um Irish authors and she has been so incredibly generous with with her time and with her praise and with her support um to generations of you know of 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 Irish authors who came after her um and I'm lucky you know like we, we've become very close friends um and I think what really really inspires me is just her commitment to her work um and we we will have these really in-depth conversations about writing and about art and about like you know whatever you know I'm I'm not as keen as talking about sort of the book that I'm currently writing but she you know likes to kind of work things out um in that manner and sort of hearing her the way she talks about her books the way she talks about her characters and her process has been such like I just feel like I've learned so much from her and there was a she was named um author of the year at the British Book Awards this year and um they there was a piece in the bookseller and they said that there's because it was after Rachel's Holiday, which was her third novel, which was published in 97 or 98, I think. Um, and the, the uh, sequel just came out in February of this year. Um, and the, the piece in the bookseller said that there's so few authors who are as relevant now as they were before the turn of the century. And I think so much of that is just her commitment to excellence and and sort of this you know, real drive to always improve, to always try and do better, to always look for ways to better her craft. And I just find that like really inspirational, um, particularly, I think she's, I think it's 15 novels she's written now. Um, and I just think it's amazing to have been writing, you know, for over two decades um, and to still, I don't know, to still be excited by the work, to still want to, um, yeah, I suppose to still want to get better. Um, that has definitely been something I think that will shape my my stories to come. So would you say that, so it's like this trifecta, this gorgeous trifecta of Atwood, McGahern and Marion Keane, <laughs> would you say those those writers made you a writer? I mean, or, or what stories or what writers propelled you towards writing? Yeah, I mean... I know, I suppose, I mean, that's such a, that's such a great question. And it's really difficult to, it's really difficult to answer that. Um, I mean, I know that when I read Rachel's Holiday, I read Rachel's Holiday when I was actually in um, St. John of God's, um, I was hospitalized for um, anorexia. And I think reading that book, you know, Rachel's Holiday is about Rachel, who is a drug addict and, and she's gone to rehab. And I think reading that book whilst having kind of a similar experience was, I mean, it, it was, it was, I suppose, very, <laughs> it was interesting timing, shall we say. Um, and I, I remember putting that down and thinking, I wish I had written that book. Mm. And that has happened to me very rarely. Like there are loads of books that you're like, God, like I mean, Harry Potter is like well I would have loved to have written that book um <laughs> but but I, I also have an understanding of I couldn't have written that book you know and I think that that that's fine you know I just know that that wouldn't be in my wheelhouse I wouldn't have but and that's saying oh I could have written Rachel's Holiday but there was something about it that I felt like I was like oh, I really wish I'd written that book and 
I'm trying to think of has I remember I had the same feeling with um my dark Vanessa um by Kate Elizabeth Russell I was like I wish I'd written that book and and sometimes when that happens and again as I said it happens so rarely but I do remember that with with um Rachel's holiday and and I I think there was a sense and if I look back of like I definitely sort of had sort of spoken about oh I'd like to write a book you know before that but I think at that point um I do remember thinking hmm, maybe and 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 like talking about Harry Potter besides the like I mean obviously we won't mention you know we won't kind of get into um every the controversies surrounding the the author um but um I, I do remember reading Harry Potter I was late coming to it I read it when I was 22 um a friend gave me the first book while we were we were like at a market in Spain and she picked it up and she's like you have to read it <laughs> and I said oh god I am not interested in reading <laughs> and and I, I said it I remember even saying I said a Narnia ripoff I was like I read Narnia <laughs> when I was a kid I'm not interested in these and I went but anyway I said I'd read it and I read all seven books in one week and yeah like it was just it was I, I couldn't like I was just so immersed and in, in the books and I remember with and I, I don't want like any spoilers but like I mean a main character like you know dies I, I think I think it's in the, I think it was in the sixth and seventh book and I wept like it was as if someone I knew had died yeah and there was a moment where I thought not I mean I definitely never thought oh, I could have written these books because I said that was very very much out of my um, comfort zone and wheelhouse and all of those things but I did think God, wouldn't it be incredible? It must have been incredible to write something that means so much to people, that people feel so engrossed in this, that like that they would cry at words on a page yeah. like a family member had died. And I did think that would be incredible. That would be brilliant. You're right. I remember the scene you're talking about again, no spoilers to the, the, the character death. <laughs> I remember where it was when I read that scene. It was like my JFK moment. I'll never forget the moment <laughs> when I first read that. And I, the absolute, I had to close the book and put it away and cry for half an hour solid before I could go back to it. I nearly, nearly, I nearly didn't finish the story because I was so yeah. excited. <laughs> You know, and it's like you're saying, it was just, I was absolutely immersed in, in, in the world and in the story. And I love that character so much. Um, But yeah, it must have been an incredible achievement. Uh, it must be a great feeling to know you've you've brought so much joy. Um, Well, again, leaving, le leaving, leaving aside the current, uh, <laughs> the current stuff. But, I know, which I yeah. suppose is what makes that even sadder is because there it, are It does, so many... it makes it sadder, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I suppose there are so many people whose lives have been shaped by those stories sure. in like a really, really positive way, Um, you know, particularly in terms of like their identity. Um, mm. And I suppose to feel as if that has been tarnished um, in the way that it has, I think has been a really painful experience um, for a lot of people. Merely, I... I wish I was a child when they came out again, like I was an adult when they came out too. So yeah. I, I kind of feel like I missed a bit of shape. No, I was, I was, I mean, I was a child when they first came out, but I, I think I was, I was at that stage. I think it was, was it 97 when the first one came out or 90? 97, 98, yeah. Like yeah, so like I was, I was 12, but like, it, it, I, you know, that it was that kind of awkward age where I think if I'd been two years younger or maybe five years later, but you know that age where you're, you're very sensitive to any suggestions that something might be for children. Yeah, sure. Do you know what I mean? You're very like, and I think, I mean, I was reading, like, I remember reading Philip Pullman when I was like 12 or 13 and feeling like, oh, yes, this is a much more grown up, um, adult kind of, you know, book that that felt much more, um, I don't know, that it was much more suited to my taste where I was very sensitive to the idea that like Harry Potter would be for children. 
and I'm not a child, you know, I might be 12, but I'm not, you know, that kind of, you know, if I'd been a little bit younger, I probably would have been better into them, but, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, I escaped until adulthood. There's two things that are really striking me about what you're, about the books, that the way that you're talking about the books that have had this kind of impact on you, this kind of, this impact on you, giving you this drive to want to create. And so the first, the first thing that strikes me is that, and it's something that Sinead said as well. It's like this very visceral rem- memory of where you were when you encountered the book. <laughs> and then the second thing is, so you remember where you were when you when you encountered the book. And then the books also have this, it's either this very profound emotional effect on you or this very profound intellectual reorientation. And maybe those, maybe there's a, a relationship between the emotion and the intellect there as well emotion mm. and intellect and place that's mm. what I'm hearing when you're talking about the books we're talking about the stories that have influenced your life and the stories that have shaped your work and you're, you're talking more about the stories that have shaped your work that have gone into creating you as a writer mm. um were there stories that like influenced your career in fashion oh that's a good that's question. a great question um mm. I mean God, I, I think I, the only thing that comes to mind, which is so funny, is um, <laughs> uh, is Sweet Valley High, um, yeah. which um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, my mother hated them so much. Like, <laughs> oh, all the mother, all the mothers and the teachers hated them, which made them even more appealing. <laughs> I mean, she was totally right. Like, they were trash and like so fatphobic and racist and mm. like really problematic. And I listened to a podcast um it's a uh, Anna Carey um and uh, Carol oh, yeah. it's really good it's a very um, good and, podcast um, yes double trouble um and um yeah when they when they go through some of them you would just be appalled I mean obviously when you're a child reading them you have no sort of understanding of you know I suppose how damaging some of the messages are but um yeah I think like clothes played such a huge part in that and actually in the podcast they have like this little segment where they go through like the outfits um in the book and like the way the way in which and I mean most of the books are sort of set in the 80s so like it's a lot of color it's a lot of texture it's a lot of like frills and you know like and all of that so like I do remember that and and you know I, I suppose when you're it's a, again like you know with all of with so many of these books it's like well who are you you know like like when you read the hunger games or when you read let's say divergent or you know would be well which faction would you be in when you read harry potter which house would you be in when you read sweet valley high it was like oh you know which twin are you mm-hmm. um and for mm-hmm. me i was always like well i like reading and i like writing and that's like elizabeth but like i love fashion and that's like jessica <laughs> i mean jessica was a stone cold sociopath so I definitely should not have been uh, <laughs> not have been identified with her but I was like yeah you know really into fashion and um, so that was um that was definitely a book but like I know that you know when I was a teenager there were definitely books that I read um that were set on on fashion magazines like you know when I when I was like I'm trying like I was thinking of this the other day because it was this Australian um uh she had been I think an editor for a, a magazine called Clio um, and then she wrote this novel about it, an English woman who moved to Australia to start working on a magazine there and sort of so you know there was there was and I I loved I love those books and I know with um um with Marion Keith there's a book about um uh, an English an English editor who is um transferred to uh Dublin 
to set up. Yeah, um, which one is that? A sushi for beginners, I think. And yes, yeah, so there was things like that where you're like, oh, this sounds like fun. And then I used to love the kind of like sex and shopping novels, like, you know, like Kate, uh, no, uh, Louise Bagshaw, um, who, you know, was, uh, there was always these books about these incredibly beautiful women who were also like, you know, the best in their field. You know, like they were the best at like, you know, music management, or they were the best at being a journalist, or they were the best at being a filmmaker, or the best at whatever. And like, they would always fall in love with like these really alpha men, and they would have like these sort of power struggles. But like, she would give so much time to describing the clothes, the makeup, the brands, but also even things like the brand of, let's say, what shower gel they were using, or like what <laughs> shampoo they were using, or where they were getting their hair cut, or where, you know, what hotel they were staying in Paris. And I just could not get enough of it it's all it's all a it's all a unknown territory unknown territory to me I'd never read any of those books maybe it's as well I was yeah. God knows what would have happened to you Sinead oh, <laughs> Lord God sure God knows <laughs> another question we like to ask on the podcast as well uh, is do maybe it mightn't maybe I won't say be as relevant to you Louise because you, you write for adults as well as for as for younger readers but um let's see what you make of this question anyway um, do, you, do you see yourself as a shaper of stories for future generations of readers and what does that mean to you? Um, uh, would it be something that you would have consciously in your mind as you write or is it something that, you know, would be would be a secondary concern for you or a secondary interest for you? Um, God, I mean, like, I think that's a very lofty claim. I'm not sure that anyone would say to themselves, I'm a, you know, a shaper of stories. Um, I do think, I mean, as as you said, you know, I've written three novels for for younger readers and three for adults. Um, and, you know, my next novel is for adult readers. And that's not saying that I won't go back to writing YA again, but it's sort of not, I don't have an idea at the moment for a book that, you know, that will be targeted towards um that market but I, I remember speaking to a friend of mine um Catherine Doyle who is a middle grade writer and you know I, I we were having one of those very earnest conversations where I was saying and you know I think we're so Irish she was really brushing us off but I was saying I think it's so important the work that you're doing because like it is so important you know to to have stories for children like if we you know we want people you know we want these kids to become readers and like you know if there are stories that are fun and are, are warm and are full of heart and love and um, and adventure and exciting all of these things um and like you know both of you will will i think definitely speak to this as well and that it's like it's such a gift to give a child um the, the love of books the love of reading the love of stories so i do think that like, it's so crucial and I, I suppose it's often dismissed you know like i know friends of mine who write for kids will say oh i'm always asked you know when would i ever consider writing for adults as if you know that that like yeah. you ever kind of consider writing a proper book um and like well again like how do you expect like if you want to write a, a quote-unquote proper books for adults well you're not going to have any adult readers or you wouldn't have any adult readers if they hadn't you know been given incredible children's books um when they were younger to foster that love of reading and i think to i suppose create that hope that maybe they could one day write themselves and so yes i do think it's really it's really important and i i don't know that like when i sat down to write my I mean, in fairness, with only ever yours, I didn't really, you know, I think with your first book, you never really know what you're writing anyway. Um, I, I, I don't think that with my books, there was a conscious decision of this has to shape young minds. I mean, I think anyone who writes for younger readers is definitely aware that like they want to, well, most of the, the writers that I know, um, that they want to approach their work with 
authenticity but also responsibility you know this kind of sense of do no harm you know that 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 you hope that your books will provide comfort or will provide solace or will provide like i don't know a sense of um recognition or you know any of those things but that that it won't that it won't be damaging or that it won't you know be harmful so that i i do th i do think that's crucial but like i know that you know when i was when only ever yours first came out um one of my 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 childhood best friend um was pregnant and we were was i 28 i'm not even trying to remember um but um so you know she was the first one of my friends to have a baby and when her child was born and it was a girl like i do think there was oh you know this sense of oh i really hope things will be better or things will have changed by the time that she's coming of age you know particularly i think with a friend that you've known since you were a child because you know when you go through adolescence with someone you sort of know each other's scars in a way and 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 you you know when you look at a a, a child when you look at a, a baby and you know it's a girl i think you just there's this hope of well i i really don't want this girl to go through what we went through or to endure what we endured so I suppose it was that sense of responsibility definitely when I was writing maybe it was subconscious but I think when I was writing asking for it of like an urgency like a feeling of things have to change you know like things must change um and wanting I suppose to create something that might start a conversation or might put a thought in 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 an a young woman's mind that that might I don't know that might bloom into something later sorry like like give her give her the means to to interrogate the society she's in or give, mm. give her give her like your your, words, language your story could, could be yeah, yeah could, could be yeah. a weapon she could use to break out of the, the structures well, around her I mean that's such a powerful thing it's incredible I mean again I, I think uh, like when you say that again it feels like a very lofty claim to make but I suppose it is just the germ of an idea that maybe you know that, that, that then that she might read something else or something else you know that he, I don't know but I suppose there was always this sense of wanting to leave the world at, at a tiny bit like I'm not trying to overstate my contribution to this you know but like I suppose the, I, and I think that's what we're all doing like literally every one of us whether we are writers or artists or not I think it's this hope that like that you will leave the world a small bit better than than how you found it and how you found it that's kind of what i think that's that's the essence of the question really it's it's kind of you know yeah. what do you hope your books might achieve like or do you do you hope that your books will have a similar effect on somebody who might read them as the books you've loved have had on you you know mm. um and it's not lofty to say anything like that and it's certainly not lofty when i'm saying it about you i think you're amazing you, <laughs> so. and it's that word hope isn't it because you you mm. uh, you use that word several times it's like what is the hope that you have for your mm. books when you send them out into the world how do you hope your books will shape the world mm. in whatever yes. way that is I suppose I, and I don't think this is just my books or books in general but I think I have really seen how art can shape the world I mean I think it 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 is a reflection of our society it is a reflection often it is a reflection of our values but I think it can also shape them and that can be a good and a bad thing um and it's not i suppose it's not that i think that all art has to have a message or that all art art has to be political because 
I, I don't think that's, I think that's a little bit, <laughs> I think maybe that's too much to ask of the artists who are creating it because everyone has such different aims for like what they want. You know, for, for many people, I'm sure that they, when they're putting their stories out into the world, it's enough to know that it offers a distraction or a release or relief. Um, and I think that work is just as valuable um, as work that, you know, might, you know, politicize a young woman or, you know, whatever, or sure. like radicalize a young woman into um, becoming a feminist. You know, I think that those have uh, equal importance and, and, and each have their own place. Um, but I suppose, yeah, I think from the very beginning with my work, it's always been, I would like to start conversations. Um, and I suppose particularly growing up in a country like Ireland, where there was so much silence and shame um, around conversations that were essential actually. Um, and I think that just the idea of having an open and honest dialogue is so crucial, I think, for all of us, um, you know, for our well-being, for our mental health, for our sense of who we are, for our sense of purpose, for our sense of, you know, our place in the world um, and for understanding the world around us. Um, and yeah, so I think that that's always been what I've hoped with my books, that they would just start a conversation. That's absolutely what your books have done. Like each yeah. one of your books has started an extraordinarily important conversation for the times, like each one of them. Like oh, it's been phenomenal. I can't, and I can't wait to see what's coming next. <laughs> oh, and actually God. that leads me to like our next, like as, quest, as Sinead always says, this is our cheeky question. The cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> what's well, next for you if, what, in, in terms of upcoming projects? What, what can you talk about? Well, I'm so, God, I'm so super, like, even when I was saying there earlier about, like, when Marion and I are having our sort of, when we talk about our work, I love to talk about her work. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> like, yes, let's talk about your work, and I want to read your work, and, you know, all of those things, but I am very slow to talk about my, my own, you know, partly because often I don't even know what it is until it's mm. finished yeah and like you know right now I'm, I'm writing the first draft and I'm I'm 63,000 words in and it's due uh at start of December so I'm sort of slightly under pressure um and I know it's funny because like with this one which will be coming out in 2024 I think um with this book I know that it's going to need a big edit I just know and I, I, I'm I've sort of been chatting to my editor about that um and I suppose if anyone is listening um who is an aspiring author it is one thing that I I always try and tell people who um you know who ask for writing advice and I'm always like well look don't compare your first draft to someone else's final draft because mm -hmm. you know they have gone through an extensive extensive rounds of edits with a professional editor whose job it is to make their work as as sharp um, and as clean as it possibly can be. And then a copy editor and then a proof, you know, reader and all of those things. Um, so I suppose I, what I've really come to learn at this point in my career is that the work is in the edit, that the first draft is often just sort of very rough and kind of a loose, like, you know, I don't know, just throwing all of these ideas onto the page. And then the editing is sort of the painstaking work of turning it into something that is worthy of being read. So at the moment, I am just trying to write without judgment um, or without sort of allowing my inner critic to come up and be like, you're useless and what are you doing? And you can't do this and blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm just like, okay, let's just get the first draft done. And then knowing that the, the hard work is going to 
is going to start very, very soon. It's amazing how anyone gets anything done, really, isn't it? We all have that voice in our head going, what are you doing? You <laughs> trying to stop trying to create you know yeah so i'm sorry to hear you suffer from that as well oh that. everyone suffers from everyone I, it's I comforting don't know, I, guess. I don't know i don't know and and you know it's true because i remember like when i spoke to authors who were really well established and incredibly successful and they would talk about their own like, you know that that inner critic or those feelings of inadequacy it is comforting i will say i find julia cameron's work very good for learning how maybe not to silence it but completely but i think to learning to live with it and not allowing it to impede the actual work so i gave away my copy at the artist's way years ago to somebody who wanted to do something creative and they promised to give it back to me and they never did so i'm oh, annoyed no. i'm gonna go and get another well, one did they did they um did they create anything like you know if you're like they moved to australia then, oh, okay <laughs> see it would have been a great ending if you were like and then they became and then yeah they, think, like then it became Sally Root you know like something like that and they like topped the really New York Times bestseller yeah. list yeah no <laughs> I had two copies of it and I just put one of my copies into you know those little free library there's loads of them around the streets oh, where yes. I live I just put one of them into one of those little free libraries to hope Is that it someone it's I'm yeah otherwise I would have posted it to, me. Posted it to you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, well, it's it's meant to be. I'm going to get another copy because it is great. It's a great resource to have for anybody who wants to kickstart their artistic uh, career in any any kind of discipline, I guess. But um, but as long as there's something coming from you, Louise, uh, that's great. I'm glad yeah. that you have something else on your on your slate. And, Very uh, excited. Hit. I know the the de the deadlines can be can be uh can be an imposition, but they're also great motivators. Uh, <laughs> so I wish you the best of luck with with meeting your meeting your deadline in December. Um, oh, but I think you. we'll probably wrap it up for today. And uh, and just to say thanks so much to Louise for for coming and sharing so much about her her reading and writing life and the stories that shaped her. In every, in every sense of the word, this has been such a great conversation. Um, and thanks also for your insights into the writing life and, you know, your your own process and how you how you do things. And uh, and it's great to it's great to hear from somebody who's uh, so much further down down the road, I suppose, than than either Susan or myself. So so uh, so thanks so much for your generosity and your oh time God, today. No, Louise. Not at all. Thank great. you so much for asking me. <laughs> You're more than welcome. <laughs> but um. But thanks to all our Storyshape listeners. And if you have enjoyed this podcast episode, we'd really like it if you could take the time to uh, to rate or review um, your the podcast on your streamer of choice. Um, and also recommend the podcast to your friends and family and neighbours and granny and enemies and whoever else you want to refer us to. Um, we'd love some some new fresh ears to listen to it, to listen to our podcast. Um, and thanks to everybody for listening and for all the great feedback we've been getting so far. Um, but for today, we'll say bye-bye from me, Sinead O'Hart, and bye-bye from me. <laughs> and uh, and goodbye from, from Louise O'Neill, our brilliant guest today. Goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> bye, Louise. Thank you. You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts. <laughs>